Oral chemotherapeutic agents and dietary supplements. How have they transformed the practice of pharmacy and oncology? You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Focus on Pharmacy. I'm Dr. Charles Turk, PharmD, your host, and with me is Dr. Susan Gooden, PharmD, the Director of the Division of Pharmaceutical Services at the Cancer Institute of New Jersey, a board-certified oncology pharmacy specialist and fellow of the American College of Clinical Pharmacy. Dr. Gooden is also an Associate Professor of Medicine at the University of Medicine and Dentistry of New Jersey. Dr. Gooden, welcome to the program. Thank you, Dr. Turk. If I could just start out by asking you, what do you see as the, uh, as the future of oral chemo? Therapy. When I look at our trials that are ongoing here at our center, you know, oral therapy is, is the direction that we're going. Now, whether oral therapy is going to be in combination with IV therapy or it'll be oral therapy in combination with oral therapy is, is, is a little bit unclear at this time. I think our next step will be, and we are doing this now, combining some of these novel oral agents that work by targeting specific places in a cell and its replication. I think right now where we're at is utilizing these oral therapies with IV agents. But in the long run, and you can define the long run probably within the next five years, what we're going to see is the management of a number of cancer types with strictly oral therapy, whether it's the combination of one or two products, is not clear at this time. But certainly oral therapy, we're going to start hopefully closing down some of our infusion centers and and really allowing patients to maintain that quality of life such that cancer, as it has become for certain types, is going to become a chronic disease, similar to what you think about with hypertension, where we manage patients in the outpatient environment with their oral therapies. My envisionment is that someday, and hopefully someday soon, we will have the global word cancer thought of as a chronic disease that we can manage with oral therapy at home. Have any of the newer oral chemotherapies allowed us to start treating disease states and cancers that were previously untreatable? That's probably the most exciting area in that in the last two years or the last three years, we've had a number of oral agents and and two in particular that have allowed us to treat renal cell cancer or kidney cancer. Here is a disease that for, you know, the last 50 years, we've not had good medicines to treat this disease. Traditionally, the therapies that were FDA approved were agents that required admission to an ICU for administration. Prior to that, we didn't really have anything. And in the last few years, we had two oral agents approved within each other, approved within the six months apart, that allow us to now manage these patients diagnosed with renal cell cancer to be managed at home with their oral therapies. So this is the first of what I think is going to be the movement in the direction where tumors where we've had very little successes with intravenous chemotherapy, we may now have opportunities through understanding from a molecular standpoint how these tumors grow and then developing oral agents that will actually target that molecular mutation or molecular defect that will allow us to provide therapies for cancers that in the past we really had no good therapy. You mentioned two agents in particular. Do you mind if I ask you to enlighten us? Which, which agents were those? Yes. The first was approved in December of 2005, and it was a drug called serafinib. It was a great deal of excitement about its approval. It targets a, a number of areas within the tumor itself, predominantly, we think, having an effect on targeting the reproduction or the production of vascular tumor vascular for the disease to continue to grow. 
And actually, it wasn't within six months, in January of 2006. So essentially, a month later, we had another drug approved for renal cell cancer, that being a drug called sunitinib. Again, we call these agents small molecule tyrosine kinase inhibitors because they actually work inside the cell. So they don't target the external part of the cell or any molecular markers on the outside of the cell, but they actually target areas within the cell that then ultimately block or stop the replication of the cell and in some cases lead that cell to go down what we call the apoptotic pathway, which is sort of the the cell then goes down a pathway where it essentially kills itself. Those two drugs, brand names Nexavar and Sutent, it's my understanding that they've also showed some success in hepatocellular carcinoma too. Is that that true? Serafinib certainly has shown success and was recently approved for hepatocellular carcinoma. And we're looking at both of these agents and investigating them in a number of clinical trials in other areas because, again, because they target many of the pathways that are common to a number of tumor types, they're being investigated in even other cellular types like breast cancer. We've done some studies here in prostate cancer. So in other areas where, again, the molecular pathway is similar and the hope is by blocking or targeting that molecular pathway, we can then ultimately have some success against other tumor types. I certainly don't want to play favorites with the different brands and pharmaceutical manufacturers. A number of different agents that have recently come out, just to name a few, Tycurb, Iressa, Sprycell, Gleevec, just a wide variety of agents. Are there any agents in the pipeline that you find particularly exciting? Certainly. And while because of the studies that we're doing here, and and I can't talk about specific agents, there are a number of agents that target actually different pathways. We've had an IV agent that targets the mammalian target of rapamycin or the mTOR pathway, a drug called Temserolimus, that has been approved for renal cell cancer. But this mTOR pathway seems to be extremely important in a number of other tumor types. And there are at least two companies with compounds in development that are oral that would, again, target that same pathway. So that's probably the agents that are closest to the market, although there are a number of other agents that work maybe a little bit differently or a little bit more selectively in different pathways that are in the, some in the early phase and some in the late phase testing that I think, again, are going to make some, have significant impact on the way we care for cancer patients. So this is just a burgeoning field and group of different molecular entities that are out there. How do clinicians best keep up to date with with advances in oral chemotherapeutic agents? Are there any resources that you you find particularly useful? You know, the challenge in, in keeping up with these agents, the new oral agents, I think is not only what's coming out, but I think the other piece that we have that keeping up with is these agents bring in a a very different component that we've not often thought about in chemotherapy, and that's drug interactions associated with them. Because of the way the studies are now being done with these oral agents as compared to probably the way we investigated intravenous agents some 10 to 15 years ago, I think certainly many of the online educational tools that are available through ASCO as well as other professional organizations provide opportunities to try to keep up with the enormous amount of information that's coming out in cancer as well as with oral therapies. I've participated in a number of online programs that are available through the Pharmacy Society, in this case, ASHP, um, the American Society of Health System Pharmacists, participated in, a, a, in essence, a webinar that talks and specifically spoke to all the challenges of oral therapy, not only the issues of how they work and drug interactions, but also the safety piece. And I think that's the other piece 
that is a challenge that really pharmacists are best in tune to help overcome, and that's this issue of safety, and that being appropriate dosing, management of these medications at home when they're small children or other people within the household. And then I think the final piece is the issue of how do we dispose of these agents? A big controversy in environmental sciences right now, and not only with oncologic agents, but all agents that are out there. For those of you who are just tuning in, you're listening to Focus on Pharmacy on ReachMDXM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Charles Turk, and I'm speaking with Dr. Susan Gooden from the Cancer Institute of New Jersey. We've been discussing several aspects and challenges associated with oral chemotherapeutic agents, old and new, and how they work, and also how that knowledge helps us optimize oncologic pharmacotherapy. Dr. Gooden, drawing upon your knowledge in clinical practice, what are some of the most common drug interactions that you see overlooked by clinicians? Charles, when we think about the drug interactions that are occurring in cancer patients, I think typically what most people have focused on have really been things that involve SSRIs or the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors through the P450 system and really non-oncologic drug interactions. I think the area where I see the most oversight around the country in my conversation with other clinicians is that many of the chemotherapeutic agents themselves and or their supportive care agents, meaning antiemetics and other agents, which certainly the uh, antidepressants would fall into that category, but really the oncologic agents, there seems to be a lack of understanding that these agents, in fact, could be P450, cytochrome P450 enzyme inhibitors and or inducers, and as such could have an effect on other medications that a patient may be taking that have nothing to do with the management of their cancer. When we look at the number of, of medications that patients are taking, and the numbers vary from seven to nine, is the average number of medications that any cancer patient may be taking while they're being managed in our clinic you recognize very quickly that the opportunity for interaction is almost 100% anytime we get over that six or seven. And we've actually done studies in our own clinics and have found that not only are there interactions that are occurring on an everyday basis, we're starting to see that because of the use of polypharmacy and the use of multiple medications, appropriate or not, and that's difficult to define, we're finding that many patients are becoming ineligible for participation in clinical trials because of drug interactions. And again, it's drug interactions with the oncologic agent that's either being tested or being used to treat that patient and not the sort of standard run-of-the-mill drug interactions that I think most healthcare professionals are used to thinking about. So there's been a shift from more conventional IV cytotoxic chemotherapy to oral therapy, which is typically more targeted, much more so focused on biologic agents. How have you noticed a shift in side effects? What are some of these side effects that we've moved away from? And, you know, is there any way of generalizing at all any patterns of side effects associated with the newer biologic therapies as compared to the conventional cytotoxic chemotherapies? You know, Charles, when I think about side effects and and more importantly, when I think about the shift from IV to oral, you bring up a fantastic point in that we are also shifting the types of side effects that we're seeing. So if I had to generalize, as you stated, the types of side effects that are different now than what we're used to dealing with. I think the first thing that comes to mind because of some of the early targeted therapies, the things like the arrests, those sorts of agents, rash was the first thing that we were really, we encountered that we typically hadn't seen. And we'd go in and um, that was a big part of the role the pharmacy played 
was that we would go in and evaluate these rashes along with the nurse practitioner and or the physician to try to identify was this an infectious rash, was this a drug rash, what exactly might be the cause. Because early on, certainly in our investigation of these agents in the phase one setting, for some of these agents, rash was a major dose-limiting toxicity associated with them. And that's continued forward. Now we're learning more that oftentimes this rash may in fact be a sign that the drug is working. Dr. Susan Godin has been our guest in our discussion of oral chemotherapeutic medications. Susan, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Charles. I'm Dr. Charles Turk, and you've been listening to Focus on Pharmacy on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. To comment or listen to our full library of podcasts, please visit us at ReachMD.com. Register with the promo code RADIO and receive six months free streaming for your home or office. Thanks for listening.